Good morning, everybody. Did your parents ever say to you something like this? Remember to take the garbage out tonight. Never? <laughs> if they did, would you? No. Well, I think your parents are going to have a talk with you today. Did they ever say to you, go to your room and clean up the mess? Don't try to fool me. I know they did that. Did they ever say to you, remember, you have to clear the table when dinner's done? Some of you did and some of you didn't. But it is important, oh, try this one. Did they ever say to you, be sure you walk the dog after school? No. <laughs> Did they ever say, give water to the cat? Okay. Have they ever told you to remember anything? Yes. See what some of you forgot that they told you you had to remember something. We're uh, going to talk about remembering for a minute this morning. I have things I have to remember, and what I do is write them down in my pocket calendar. Meetings I have to go to, people I have to see, things I have to get done, deadlines, committees, that kind of thing. When I was growing up, I think once in a while, my mother even did this, she told me I had to remember something, and they used to tie a string around your finger and tie it in a bow. And then later on in the day when you were walking around, you oh, what's that string on my finger for? Oh, I remember. Mom told me to do this. At our house, maybe at your house too, there's a pad of paper on the counter in the kitchen. Usually what we write on there is stuff we need from the grocery store. Sometimes I'll say, I had to go away, I'll be back at such and such a time. And other notes like that to help people remember what's going on. Well, a brand new season of the year began today. A season of the church year. Do you know what we call it? Advent. Advent is a kind of word we hardly ever use, but it means coming. Who's coming? Jesus. It's his birthday, at least we celebrate it, on what date? Christmas, December 25. Now, I want to tell you this morning that it is hard to remember the real meaning of Christmas because there's so many things going on, programs to go to and parties to have and and things to remember, and gifts to buy, and gifts to wrap, and most especially, gifts to get on Christmas. And sometimes we forget what it's all about. So I'm going to give you a calendar this morning, and it looks like the picture up there for people who are behind me and can't see this, but it's got all the squares in the calendar up to December 25, and on the back, there's a little stick like this that helps you scratch off what's on each day. And underneath is a text to read. And remember, 
that Jesus came and why he came. So you can go to all the parties, you can get all the presents, you can have all the fun, but if you do this one day at a time until Christmas, you'll be remembering the real meaning and what's really special about Christmas all the time. So be sure you take one of these and scratch off one day at a time. Don't do them all. And today, you scratch off the first one. Tomorrow, number two. The next day, number three. And when you're all done, it'll be Christmas. And you'll remember Jesus. You may go back to your seat. We begin a series of messages, of four messages, on these Sundays of Advent ostensibly about uh, the genealogies of Jesus, although you'll hear as I read from Mark this morning, there isn't much of a genealogy there. So it really fits better under the title on the top of the worship sheet, Roots of the Redeemer. The story of Jesus is what we'll be looking at from four different perspectives, the perspectives of the gospel writers, with an Old Testament and a New Testament reading for each. The Old Testament reading this morning is taken from Isaiah, chapter 2. You'll find that on page 554 in your pew Bibles, the first five verses. Isaiah, chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And now from the Gospel of Mark, page 812, the first chapter, the first eight verses. The story of Jesus as Mark tells it. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me 
comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. I'll tell you a story of old Mrs. Morey, and now my story's begun. I'll tell you another of her brother, and now my story's done. I think my mom used to tell me that one whenever I'd ask her to tell me a story so she could do it short. But it reminded me of the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and specifically of the story of Jesus as Mark tells it. Not in its content, but in its brevity, in its simplicity. I read eight verses, but only one of them was about the coming of Jesus. Mark's is even simpler than the story of old Mrs. Morey. It begins with a mere sentence fragment. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. It's not even a sentence. It's more of a title. And I've been referring to Mark as the author of it while there is not any evidence in the gospel according to Mark, not anywhere in any of the 16 chapters that somebody by the name of Mark even wrote the gospel. Now, it's a pretty reasonable tradition and a tradition of long standing. It goes all the way back to A.D. 140. People have been saying Mark is the author of this gospel ever since. It's probably reliable. And it's likely that Mark wrote a gospel and outlined it after the fashion of Peter and his gospel presentation because it is known that Peter was a mentor to Mark in Rome. It's quite probable that this little book called Mark is the oldest of the four Gospels, the first of the four Gospels to be written, and that's why I've chosen to speak on it before Matthew. If that's the case, then what we have here in front of us this morning is the first account of the life of Jesus ever written. And at least in what I read this morning from Mark, it sounds a little like the story of old Mrs. Morey. It's done before it's hardly begun. But there is a message in Mark's method. Beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. In the NIV, from which we read, Mark 1, verse 1, has only 12 words in it. In the original Greek, it has only five words. The question has always been, how do you translate it? How do you catch the meaning of what it is that Mark said? In the NIV, we read, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. J.B. Phillips put it this way. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begins. The message has it this way. The good news of Jesus Christ, the message, begins here. And the Living Bible reads, 
Here begins the wonderful story of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, here is what Mark actually wrote in Greek. Arche tu evangeliu Jesu Christu. Five Greek words. Which read literally would be beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't figure out a way to put it quite sensibly in English without using about eight words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But what I want you to sense, especially this morning, is that Mark is so eager to start the story that he just blurts it out. Beginning. Not even the beginning and in the rush to announce beginning he omits everything we've come to think of as the essential details of Advent and Christmas there are no angel annunciations to anybody in Mark there's no hint of a virgin birth in Mark there's no mention of Mary in Mark's story. There's no mention of Joseph. There's no mention of Bethlehem. There's no mention of a choir of angels singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. There are no shepherds. There are no wise men. There is no Herod. And there is no complicated, difficult to read, and somewhat boring genealogy. All the stuff that good stories are made out of and that form the foundation and the background for all kinds of things that will soon be out on our mantles, our hearths, our tabletops, our front door, and maybe even in the front yard are just not there. They're not hastily mentioned. They're not glossed over. They're not hinted at. They're missing and doubly mystifying is the fact that when Mark sat down to write this gospel, he must have known it was the first one that has ever been written. And you'd think he'd want to include everything in it to make it as interesting as possible. This was like the first recorded biography of the most important person in the history of humanity. And all the stuff that makes a story interesting and intriguing and attracts our attention and arouses our curiosity, it's not there. By verse 9, which I didn't even read this morning, Jesus is 30 years old and being baptized by John in the Jordan on his way to being tempted in the desert. There is a message, however, loud and clear in Mark's omissions, I contend, when there is nothing but Jesus. Mark is declaring nothing and nobody is more important than this. Even a simple article like the in front of the word beginning 
might get in the way. So just say, beginning. And when Mark blurts out, beginning, behind him and through him, hear the Spirit of God saying to everybody who ever reads what we just read this morning, nothing, nobody is more important than Jesus. Now there's something else about the beginning of Mark's gospel, specifically about the first chapter in Mark's gospel, that I want to call to your attention that you can't see unless you can read it in the Greek. So I'll tell you about it. Almost as if to make up for the list of ten things I just said a moment ago were completely missing from Mark's Christmas story, Mark uses a word ten times in chapter one. He uses it so often that translators almost never put it in as many times as Mark did. The word in the Greek is euthus, and it's translated into English as immediately. Now let me just summarize in chapter one alone what it is that Mark sounds like. Verse 10 in chapter one, immediately the spirit descended on Jesus. Verse 12, immediately after this, the Spirit drives him out into the desert to be tempted. Verse 18, immediately upon calling Simon and Andrew, they follow. Verse 20, immediately Jesus calls James and John. Verse 21, immediately Jesus begins to teach in the synagogue. Verse 23, immediately a man possessed by an evil spirit appears. Verse 28, immediately Jesus' fame spreads. Verse 29, immediately Jesus leaves the synagogue. Verse 30, immediately they tell him Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And verse 42, immediately a leper is cleansed. You can understand why translators don't put it in every time and leave the word out. Just leave it out. Immediately this, immediately that, immediately, immediately, immediately. It's just not good style. Except, it's Mark's style. And the style is part of the message. And the message is not just beginning. There's nothing and nobody as important as Jesus. But immediately, there is some urgency, there is some necessity to make some kind of choice about this Jesus. ASAP, right now. Immediately. And it's not just that word 10 times in chapter 1. It's 41 times throughout this little 16-chapter gospel. Into the dry, dusty traditionalism of first-century Judaism comes the immediacy of the gospel. And people began to sense it even before Jesus preached. Lloyd Ogilvie describes what we read about John the Baptist and his ministry this way. He said, the people longed for revival, for something more than the rites and rituals of formalized religion. They were tired of drab obligations and guilt-inducing rules. Heritage and history had been substituted for God himself. Now, out in the wasteland, where the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea, was one who had a compelling word from God. 
No wonder all the people surged out to hear him. They had a hunger for God. Today, one of the greatest needs in the church is to recover our appetite for him. It's tragic how the church, with its endless committee meetings and purposeless customs, can make us think we are fed. We get fed up, but not satisfied. Mark wants all of us to feel the need expressed by those persistent pilgrims who heard John gladly. From the villages, from the cities, and the countryside they came saying, we need God. Immediately, and not a moment later. So, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. But nobody's ever written a gospel before. What is it? What is this gospel? The Greek word is evangel. And it's the word, you might have already guessed, behind our word evangelist, evangelism, evangelize. And it means literally good news, the beginning of the good news. But it's a special kind of good news. It's not the good news I experienced on the way here this morning that the snow stopped. Isn't that good news? I am going to stop asking kids questions. <laughs> anyway, it's not that kind of good news. It was good to me. It's not the kind of good news that we say, oh, the bill wasn't as high as I thought it would be. Isn't that wonderful? This good news is specifically the good news of a victory over an enemy you couldn't conquer. It is the good news that you just heard that there was born in the emperor's household a successor to the emperor. In an era when the emperor was regularly known by his people as the savior of mankind. Now doesn't that sound just a little bit like what the angel said to the shepherds and recorded by Luke? I bring you good news of great joy today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. It's as if Mark is shouting at the beginning by choosing the word good news or gospel. Have I got a story for you? And the very word he uses for story, evangel, good news, tells the story. The birth of a king who is powerful enough to defeat your greatest enemy and who is known as the savior of mankind. If that isn't good news, I don't know what is. You thought perhaps already the story was kind of short and you were right, but it's shorter than you think. Because when you read it in the NIV, the story goes this way. It's the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But it's most probable that Mark didn't even write the words, the Son of God, 
there. Not because he didn't believe it. And not because Jesus wasn't the Son of God. But we have reason to think those words don't belong there because they're not in the oldest manuscripts we have and they are in some of the newer ones we have. Well, if it isn't in the old one and it is in the new one, it had to be added somewhere in between. But Mark didn't have to say the Son of God because the name he gave said it all. What God is willing to do for you and me is evident just in the name, Jesus. That's his name. And more important than knowing where he was born and when he was born and who visited and who sang and how many there were is that Jesus came. That's the name they gave him at his dedication. It's the name his mother used when she called him in for dinner. It's the name his father used when he talked to him in the carpenter shop. It's the name his special friends like Peter and James and John used when they were talking privately with him about significant matters. But it's a name with a meaning, and the meaning has a message. Jesus means God saves. By the fourth word in Mark's rendition of the story of Jesus, we are being introduced to salvation. Think about it. Either this book we've always called Mark, and the book it's in, which we've always called the Bible, either it's a hoax or it's the greatest news that has ever been conveyed to the human race, that a king has come who is the savior of mankind and will defeat our greatest enemy, Jesus Christ. I know in the Bibles you looked at this morning, it says Jesus, Messiah. Messiah is simply Hebrew, and Christ is simply Greek for the same thing. It's not his second name, not his last name. It's his title, the anointed one, the chosen one, the way, the truth, the life. The only one who can save, the only name under heaven given among us whereby we must be saved. The story may be shorter than you thought, but it's all there. Well, it took me longer to explain Mark's five-word story than for him to tell it. But this is it. Beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's all you need to know, really, if you understand those words. It's the very basics, but it's all there. And that reminded me of a very simple, but powerful story I heard about a little boy who ran into the living room one day and said to his dad, Daddy, I know what the Bible means. And his dad, dad decided to ask him, what do you mean you know what the Bible means? He said, I do, I do, I'm telling you, I do. And his dad said, all right, what does the Bible mean? And the little boy said, Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic information, 
before leaving earth. And he's right, you know. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for reminding us again of the heart of the story through the words of Mark and through your spirit at work in our hearts. Thank you for reminding us that you came and that your coming was good news and declared the possible defeat of our greatest enemy by none other than the Savior of mankind. Please help us to remember the heart of the story. And then let all the details, the Christmas greens and the crushes and the lights and the candles and the ribbons and all the rest, remind us of the heart of the matter. For Christ's sake, we pray it. Amen. Will you please rise for the closing hymn.
Go now in peace, and may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and in all places. The Lord be with you all. Amen.